Now, my first guest is, like myself, a Tala native with a huge interest in its history. And he's written a book called A Ramble About Tala, History, People and Places. And it's been a labour of love for a long time. Is that right? You're very welcome. Albert Paris, how are you? Good morning, Brendan. Good. Thanks Thank for having so. me. I, I see we're of a similar vintage. Yes. Yeah, I think you're a little bit older. I, oh my God, that was right in there, Albert. That's typical Tala for you there. <laughs> yes, I was born in 1971. I read by your notes you were born in 72. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're very welcome. So, uh, we're both from Tala, so we don't want to go down a wormhole of everything we know about Tala. Sure. Uh, so, you were born in Tala? No, you yes, were? Okay, yeah, I was yeah. born in Tala in 72, I suppose, the, the child of... A couple that had just moved in there 18 months earlier, like about 10,000 other couples that would move in over the following decade into what had been a small country village. And from 1970 to 1980 was, was pretty much transformed into an urban landscape. Uh, probably like your own folks, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. They moved in 1979, 80. Okay. Uh, to Kingswood. Okay. Which is on the, sort of, I was explaining, Kingswood is on the border between Tala and Clondalkin. So when we were going, yeah. my mother would often say, because I went to school in Clondalkin. Ah. So we would always, that's where our friends were. So okay. And we were on the Ballymount Lane, which is the dividing line between right. Tala and Clondalkin. So we, right. our post would come to Dublin 22, but we would vote in Dublin 24. Ah. Well, Dad would tell us that. Those yeah, stories. yeah. It's kind of funny. So we were like border. We were outside. Yeah, a, a bit like the writer Catherine Tynan. Uh, yeah. She lived up that neck of the woods and, and Tala has claimed her as its own. But in reality, she was in the parish of Clendalkin. Ah. She was born in Dublin, lived in the parish of Clendalkin and died in London. But we have a plaque up in Tala Village celebrating <laughs> the great Tala writer. So when I was growing up in Tala, there was a, a kind of a, a statistic bandied around that there was more people in Tala than in Cork, the biggest city. Was that true at one point? Um, not sure about Cork certainly Limerick, Limerick. throughout the 80s it was yeah. generally compared to the Limerick so there's, there's as many people in Tallinn now as there is in the city of Limerick okay. uh, which was probably was true yeah, yeah. Um, it lacked I suppose the facilities that, that a city lacked that had grown up on, you know over hundreds of years yeah. um, Tallinn literally developed on the scale that we, we knew it in the 80s it developed really from about 1970 to 1980 yeah. um, it went from a population of, of maybe a thousand people to 40,000 people in 10 years and would continue to grow at that pace for the next for the next 10 so it's a, rem- a remarkable spot, but you actually, you, you, you go back further into the social history of it. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Yeah. Well, in this book, I suppose it had to start somewhere and it actually starts with Noah's Ark. <laughs> Why not? We, we had to start somewhere and that seemed like as good a place as any. Which is great. And I, I'm, I, my favourite place in the world other than Ireland is Greece. Right. So t- tell us about the Ark then. Yeah, well, I suppose the, the, the foundation story of Tala, if you like, is, is the story of Parthalon, uh, a Greek prince that tried to overthrow his father's rule. This is 4,000 years ago or thereabouts. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, tried to overthrow his father's rule in Greece and was banished by his father. Yeah. So himself and his followers set sail and they, they wind up in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, in Ballyshannon, of all places. Um, and after about 300 years, um, they settled closer to Dublin between Tala and Hoth. Um, but after 300 years of the Partholonians arriving, they're wiped out by a great plague uh, and all 9,000 Partholonians are killed in one week, uh, wow. 5,000 men and 4,000 women. And they're buried in a plague grave or Tavlocht and the name Tala comes from Tavlocht, meaning plague grave. Uh, referring back to the Partholonians. Now, there's an element of legend and myth and mythology. Uh, this comes from, from uh, the Book of Leinster and, and, and five and six hundred year old manuscripts. Um, but it's the earliest reference we have in writing to the story of Tala. Uh, and in fact, the, the history of Tala is entwined with the history of Ireland in, in that sense. In so, t- Tavlocht is, is, means? Plague grave. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. 
That's yeah. very interesting. And I suppose if you look at the hills around Tala, and there's a little section on that in terms of of cysts and mounds and passage graves and, and all the rest of it, and certainly in the 1800s and 1700s, they're a lot more obvious and a lot more visible around Tala than they are today. But on the top of Tala Hill, on the top of Mount Pellier, um, and, and throughout the hills surrounding uh, the district, um, there is there is prehistoric. So, so what, I mean, you're remnants. you're born in Tala, and I saw my, and actually my mother's home is still there, and so I'm very still connected to it. Yeah. But uh, what is it about Tala as a historian that really interests you specifically because it's quite a specific interest isn't it? Yeah look I think it's not unrelated to where you come from Right. Um, now I'm as long out of Tala as I was in it so I lived in Tala for 26 years and I left Tala about 24 years ago so I haven't lived there in over 24 years um, but I, I, I got an impulse to write again I had written a small book about 25 years ago 1999 which was a, an oral folk history of Tala uh, called Since Adam Was a Boy. And in the 90s, I had gone around and recorded uh, the older people of the district, and in particular, the, the original Tala people, as distinct from Newbies, the, the 30 or 40,000 yeah. people that had moved in since. Uh, and I recorded their memories, and they spoke about the Civil War and the War of Independence and and the foundation of Ernie Chocolates and what Tala was like in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s. Um, and that absolutely fascinated me. And I didn't write very much at all then for 20 years. And when I decided to take back up my pen, I thought, well, what, what will I write about now? And I suppose as a younger writer, you're always advised to write about what you know, yeah. uh, which is what I had done 25 years earlier. Uh, but later on, I still felt there were stories uh, to tell the tales of Tala that haven't been told before, I guess. Um, so that's the impulse to write about Tala again after 25 years. That's it's fa- and obviously the social change that Tala saw then is sort of the the drama of the social history that you put in as well, which is fascinating. Yeah, um, we have um, before Tala they started building the housing estates, and it, as we said, it was a quiet little rural village. Um, but we have a clip from a 1990s uh, radio documentary of of an observation of Tala. Well, at the start, we didn't think a whole lot of them, to tell you the truth. Because being, as I'd still say, was a country village at the foot of the Dublin mountains. And if you go to any part of Ireland, there's no one likes to see strangers moving into their little village. Oh, the day when I heard that I get a sigh of sorrow, but I said, what could they do? I suppose they wanted the houses for the people. But they brought out all the city people to us that we didn't like. We wanted to tell it to ourselves. We had it for years. No, the building put a damp on it. It's interesting, actually, and this is just an observation, that their accents are very Dublin with a slight edge of country as well in it. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose Tala is in that place. It's on the periphery of the city, but it's also parts of Tala are still very much in the countryside. Well, maybe maybe not so now, but certainly 20 or 30 years ago, it was still very much country. And you could never really discern what a Tala accent was. Um, and a couple of times over the years, you know, you meet people, and I'm sure you maybe had a similar experience. Yeah, and you hear you meet people in town, they go, where are you from? You said, oh, I'm from Tala. And they said, really? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, you don't sound like you're from Tala. <laughs> and, and it's never obvious yes. to me what what We're talking about things you shouldn't say to like. people. That's one of them. But, <laughs> but, but very much so, the older people of Tala, or the original Tala people, had quite a country accent. Um, and of course, that has been to somewhat muted in the last 30 or 40 years because there's people from all over Dublin and country uh, has moved into the Funny now, and I can say this as a, as a, as a Tala boy, uh, there is a Tala accent and I, I hear it now in people in their 30s. Yeah. Te- there is a Tala accent. Anyway, but you were a curious child and at the, the, the site of a prefab, we had a prefab church ah. uh, in Kingswood. You had a prefab library. Yeah. 
So that was that sort of started your interest, did it? Yeah, library? I suppose in the in the late seventies and very very early eighties, uh, thousands of houses have been built, churches have been built, and schools have been built. Or in some cases, churches hadn't been built. It was the prefabricated. Yeah. Was the yeah. Saint Killian's was your That's church? It, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> but uh, there wasn't that many public uh, facilities had been built. There was quite a lag of fifteen or twenty years between the residential development and the the public services to follow. But we had a tiny little uh, prefabricated, little green prefabricated library on the Green Hills Road. And after a remove of 40 years, I can't quite remember how small it was, but certainly even at 10 years of age, it seemed small at the time. So it must have been pretty small because when you're 10, everything looks huge. Yeah. Um, and, and one of my earliest memories uh, is my mother bringing us down to the library. Every fortnight, we, we'd be marched down to the library. And it was a good walk. It was probably a couple of kilometres, which when you're 10 years of age is a good walk. Uh, and, and going into the little library, middle of winter, lash and rain. And at that stage... Uh, you could still smoke in libraries. People could still <laughs> smoke in public libraries. Wow. And there was a, a a lady librarian there who was probably about 50, and I thought she was ancient because I was 10. Uh, and I've only I've recently learned, actually, her name was Mrs. Stapleton, oh, uh, which I've often wondered for, for decades, who was that woman? Uh, uh, a gentleman recently told me, ah, that was Mrs. Stapleton. But Mrs. Stapleton would, would stand behind the counter with her pipe, uh, and, and she'd stand behind this sort of plume of smoke looking at you quizzically, and she was quite a stern lady. So did she had a pipe? Yeah, yeah, oh, she wow. smoked a pipe. Now, other people, I've spoken to other people, and they say, no, no, it was definitely cigars. She smoked oh, cigars. Cig- she chain-smoked cigars. And I'm thinking, no, no, it was a pipe. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but one of my memories is, is about 10 years of age, uh, standing in front of her with my little ticket. I'm being quite, uh, you know, there's an element of trepidation in front of this stern elderly lady. And she said, can I help you, young man? And I said, yes, I want to... I want to know how to cut a woman in half. <laughs> and uh, she looked at me over her spectacles like she'd been doing it herself for years. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I clarified, I, I want to know how to do magic tricks. Oh, and I said, ah, yes. So uh, she brought me over to the, the conjuring section or the section with three or four magic books in it. And uh, But all I learned that day was how to cut a deck of cards in half, <laughs> actually. Uh, but but it was an important institution in Thailand in the 80s in the absence of, you know, the, there wasn't Super Bowl or, or sports bowls or cinemas or yeah. a lot of the, the services that came after. The library was, was pretty central to the village. Uh, and a book you found in there, a local history book called Malachy Horn Remembers by George Little. That was a part of your... Yeah, yeah. I was probably 14. That's probably four or five years later. I'd, I'd got a senior card, I think, at that stage. Um, and I came across this old tattered sort of paperback book that had been obviously rattling around for decades. And it was Malachy Horn Remembers. And it was an oral history of Tala, or an oral history, uh, the, the memories of this this elderly gentleman, Malachy Horn, who had been born in 1847 and lived on top of Killinarden Hill. Uh, a small farmer, 87 years old, his sight failing, uh, untravelled, uneducated. Uh, and a lot of people thought, you know, what has this guy got to say? And Dr George Little in, in the early 40s uh, regularly went out to Malachy Horn and up to his little cottage on the top of Kilnarden Hill and recorded his memories. And uh, a number of articles was done in the old Dublin uh, Society Journal, but uh, it was later published as Malachy Horn Remembers in 1946. And, and it was a very, very successful book. And people all over the country uh, were interested in this book. People who had never even been to Tala. Was he just remembering social history of the time and what was going on? Yeah, yeah. It was very much the lore and the country lore. 
Wow. Uh, and and much of what Maliki would have talked about, remembered, I suppose, would have been familiar to that gener- generation of people all over the country in, in, in rural communities all over Ireland. But but in relation to Tala in particular, I suppose, as a 14-year-old Tala boy reading it, he, he talked about, you know, the, the sack-em-ups or the, the grave robbers in, in Saggart Graveyard a uh, hundred years before his time, or, or maybe not quite a hundred years before his time. He talked about the rising of 1867 in Tala. Um, he talked about cockfighting. He talked about getting fellas hanged on the banks of the Dodder in 1815. And at 14 years of age, you know, uh, this was stuff 140 years ago. So that's 10 lifetimes ago. You know, it might as well have been the Romans or the Greeks. You know, this is a long, long time ago. But I knew these places. So the banks of the Dodder, of course, was our playground in Thailand in the 70s and 80s. And what were the sack-em-ups? The sack-em-ups, the grave robbers. Wow. So they used to come out to the graveyards to, to rob the recently uh, uh, buried corpses, uh, principally for the, the Royal College of Surgeons, I think. Uh, they, they would sell the, the cadavers to the Royal College of Surgeons. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was, uh, in, as late as the 1940s, that was still recalled, um, which is quite extraordinary. And it would have been kind of because my family are inside the pale city city dwellers. So that was very much countryside to them. I remember my grandmother being very upset when we moved out to Tala, you know, and and there was no there was one bus a day. That's right. There was no street lights. That's right. When you moved, yeah. Yeah, and we moved there. I remember waking up thinking I was blind because it was the first time I'd slept somewhere with no street lights. Yeah. I was oh, I was about 8 or 9. That's right. So, so that was a big mistake because and also in your book you 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 do explain that they the when they planned Tala to 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 I suppose, urbanise it. They assumed people would have cars. Absolutely, yeah. I suppose the development of plan around the, the late 60s, around 1867, I suppose Miles Wright's plan for, for the, the expansion of Dublin and the growth of Dublin suggested these super satellites would be built in Talek, and and Blanchardstown. And an early draft of his report had been sort of leaked and that gave both the, the local authorities and private developers an impetus to start acquiring land in the late 60s around Tala. And there was wow. a scramble for land and there was competition between both the local authorities and the private developers to get this land. Um, the, the idea of, of the, the, these large suburbs uh, were predicated very much on, on successful plans that had been implemented in the UK by single local authorities and also in America. Um, but but that was predicated on every household having access to at least one motor car and probably two motor cars in time. And so these very low density residential developments with vast swathes of, of green space between the estates, um, it mitigated against, I suppose, the efficient provision of public services such as bin collection and refuge collection or postal deliveries, um, but also of, of public transport. Um, because the, the, the densities weren't really there. And also a lot of the estates, uh, and, and you'll remember this, there was a lot of cul-de-sacs. Mm. So so buses, large buses couldn't get up or down those cul-de-sacs because they couldn't turn at the end of them. So the development of these, uh, they, there was assumed, firstly, most houses would have a motor car. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, that, and it was a recommendation of Wright in 1967, that a shuttle bus service um, should be serving all of these these hinterlands uh, and connecting it with the the, the main transport arteries. Um, as late as 1990, car ownership in certain quarters in Tala was less than 40%. Wow. Um, so, so can I spin you back before we run out of time, actually? Cause I want to spin you right back because the one thing in Tala that I remember, but I was really fascinated by, was the industry up there, the employers. So I remember Cabris. Obviously, loads of people worked yes, there. Yeah. But, but prior to that, there was the chocolate factory. Yeah, well, Ernie Chocolates in 1924. Uh, They're a huge been, employer. Oh, absolutely. For 50 years, probably certainly one of the most important employers for 30 years and a very important 
Port employer for 50 years from 1924 until 1980. Um, now, really, from the late 60s, it, it, it was declining somewhat, but it was still a very important employer until as late as 1980. And um, it's like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory stuff. You know, it was one of the largest chocolate factories in all of Europe um, in the mid-60s and the early 60s. Um, had been established up in up in uh, Donegal, actually, well, well, Orny Straban um, in 1919. Um, and after the Civil War and partition then, they moved down to Tala in 1924. Um, and at one stage employing over 800 people in Tala uh, in a very small country village in the 1950s and 60s. Um, so profoundly important. So enterprise. it looked completely different. You can imagine the landscape of that even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost cinematic, the vision of it, really. I it think. is, yeah. 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 The, the rolling Tala hills. This is a wonderful book. I've got loads of texts here. So proud of Albert and the amazing amount of information he's gathered about our hometown. I remember Miss Stapleton puffing away in the library. He says, Fiona. Dear Brendan, loving the chat on about Tala. Great memories of also being marched to that library. It developed my love of reading. Thank you, Louise. And I bought this book and really look forward to reading it. I was brought up in Old Bon and now uh, back living in Tala Village. It's a great place and has a really interesting history that is not widely known. Tell me one thing in this book that people will be surprised to find out about. It's a gorgeous book, by the way. It's hardback. It's a lovely coffee table book. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's one thing. I suppose you're from, from Kilna Manor or Kingswood Heights. Kingswood! Um, near <laughs> enough. And, and uh, <laughs> most people associate St. Kevin, I think, with Glendalock. Yeah. Um, and they don't tend to think of St. Kevin as a Talaman. But but St. Kevin actually studied in Kilna Manor uh, under St. Owen back in the 6th century and spent probably the better part of a decade uh, studying in Tala under St. Owen before he went on. He was baptised by Cronin in Clendogan. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So most people, when they think of St. Kevin, you know, indelibly, uh, it's 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 uh, Glendalock. Wow. But he, he spent his formative years in Tala, so, you know, we, we can adopt him as a, an honorary Tala man. Lovely. Uh, Albert Paris, uh, a ramble about Tala history, people and place. Uh, illustrations by Michael O'Brien and published by O'Brien Press is available in all good bookshops. Best of luck with it. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you very much, Brendan. Thanks for having let's, me. Let's take a break. 